In anticipation of Super Bowl 58 and the NFL playoffs, BetMGM has a brand new offer for the listeners of the Just Baseball Show. Place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5. You will receive $158 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. So how do you get this offer? Well, first, you're going to download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Once you have placed a bet, you will receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions must be 21 plus to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get $158 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. Do it on BetMGM. Part two of our Zips projection reaction. Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs put out his annual Zips projections, and we went through each blog post and uh, noted the notable projections. So you can kind of wait until they're all consolidated into one sortable spreadsheet on Fangraphs because they're not there yet. Jack, Peter, Just Baseball Show. This is Wednesday, January 24th. We're going to do the Zips projections for the American League. Uh, we're also going to talk about Aroldis Chapman off the top. But as always, Peter Apple. We are brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks, and that is BetMGM. So, ladies and gentlemen of the Just Baseball Show, I understand if during the season you don't want to deposit and get it matched, right? You don't want to put that much money in. I get it. I've been there before. There's no worries about that. But five to win 158, you put down a Lincoln, use code just baseball, you put down $5, and you get back $158 in bonus bets. I was in Arizona this past weekend for a bachelor party, and I have three friends who don't really bet right there in California. The books are not legal there. They come over to Arizona. They put $5 in, $158 in bonus bets. And they were winning a bunch of money that was just free given to them. This is when you take advantage of when the books are giving you money. I wrote an article like two years ago 
take the bonuses. Like, take the free money that the books are going to give you. They don't do this often. So take advantage right now. Use code just baseball. Put down a single Lincoln, a $5 bill. You will get back $158 in bonus bets. The only reason I'm saying get it now is because it's genuinely advantageous for you to get free money in the account. You can use it however you please, but the great thing is you won't lose it. They're bonus bets. Make sure to use that on BetMGM. Yes. Um, I know that you are eyeing some MLB team futures. I know that there is uh wait, you said biggest bet of your life is going to come this year? I put out the biggest bet of my life already to my subscribers, and it will be out on JustBaseball.com next week. I'm very, very excited okay to Good say to lightly i am titillated just thinking about it is it gonna make me scratch my head like the eroldis chapman signing we should talk about the eroldis chapman signing because 10 and a half million is i did not put 10 and a half million on this bet so i think it's you know higher um, value it's like i'm walking into therapy with you again i know that you constantly tell me Never to undervalue the price of a pitcher in this market. They're Let's always going to go for more. But dude, yep. $10.5 million, as soon as that happened, and I saw that Jason Mackey, the Post-Gazette, tweeted out that it was a $10.5 million deal across one year. I just tweeted 10.5M with three or four question marks. Are you kidding me? This guy was like not that good for the Rangers down the stretch. Obviously, he was great pre-trade, and that is what net Kansas City Reagans in that in that Rangers deal. But they gave him opportunities to close out games, and he wasn't good at it. He had an ERA in the high threes with Texas. So how does a one-year, three million dollar deal, pretty much three and a half million dollar deal, net him a seven million dollar increase? across a one-year deal he's a year older and he wasn't a sub two with 18 k's per nine with texas he was fine but he wasn't ten and a half million dollars fine it, it blew my mind seeing that number the seventh inning guy for the houston astros hector neris is looking to secure a three-year 50 million dollar deal that's the market welcome to 2024 major league baseball who are you giving the ball to first neris or chapman I don't know. Really? I know. Mean, like, I'd, I'd probably give it to Neris. Here's my one thing about a role this Chapman, and I've said it for years. Said it for years. When he's 102, 103, when he's got it that day, he looks like the greatest reliever alive. There was a time where he first came over um, after the trade deadline. I think it was like in mid to late August. I was watching a Rangers game late at night. It was on the West Coast. And he sat down one, two, three. It wasn't an immaculate inning, but I think it was like 11 pitches where he was 102 at the bottom of the zone, top of the zone, and then just biting off that incredible slider. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this guy is a first ballot Hall of Famer. This is some of the best stuff I've ever seen in my life. Then the next day, Jack, I was watching another Rangers game. He's 97. He gave up three earned. I was just like, what is going on with you? Because he can look like the greatest of all time or legitimately the worst of all time. But we know that one win above replacement, if we look at war, has gone up in value. It used to be about seven or eight million. New quotes have it around eight or nine. He put up 1.8 F4 last year. So if you think he can put up a one win season as a reliever, that's worth eight. And if you think it's going to be closer to one and a half, that's worth 11 or 12. It's just, Jack, do I need to remind you 
Yamamoto has not pitched a game in Major League Baseball. And he got 325 million. Yeah, but that's a guy that can throw 190 innings and have an ERA in the low threes. It's also 32x what Chapman just signed for. And he's never pitched here. I'm not talking length right now. Yamamoto is a decade younger than Chapman. You also got to think about the Pirates are going to sell a lot of Chapman jerseys. It's going to no, they're not. I bet they How are. are they going to sell Chapman jerseys. Have you been looking at the comment sections about this deal from Pirates? Can fans? we? They're no, extremely no, no. Excited. How many Royals Chapman jerseys do you think they sold last year? I bet they sold a good amount. I bet, I bet they sold like none. Well, also, he lasted like three months, and that's the point of this contract, right? We're going to talk about who is he going to get traded for next? Because Chapman at this point has a trade Rolodex on his resume. We got Glaber Torres in that trade with the Cubs and the Yankees where Glaber went back to New York and then the Yankees then re-signed Chapman, but the Cubs got a World Series out of it, so they ain't worried about it. How about Cole Reagans, right? So the Pirates pay you $10.5 million. At least at the start of the season, right, you expect to roll this Chapman to have his arm ready to go, probably have a good front half, and then you trade him for another prospect because that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, Pirates fans were in my comment section being like, Peter, come on, you think he's just a flippable asset? If the Pirates made more moves, if they made corresponding acquisitions, no. But this is the only move the Pirates really have made all offseason. Yes, it's a flippable Eight mil for Martin Perez. He's way worse than Chapman. I mean, he he might not last the year. One more thing that I do want to push back on a little bit, the financial value of war. And I just had a good conversation with our guy Taylor Davis about that on Show and Go, which is kind of getting revamped for this year. But I disagree that there should be a dollar amount attached to a win above replacement. I don't like the idea of valuing war financially because, and, and the example that I used, a win above replacement for Pete Alonso and a win above replacement for Nico Horner could not look more different. Yeah, it's hard to equate value to one certain number. I totally agree with you. But again, he didn't get paid like the 1.8 F4 guy that he was. He didn't get paid like that. He got paid less. So it's financially, by that financial science. model. Yeah, it's not an exact science, but it's a good gauge to be all right, well, if that's what it's worth, if one win above replacement is around $9 million, you still got paid less, but it's understandable. It's the best we got. We're just yeah. trying here. So Kimbrell signed for what, 13 mil with the Orioles? And that I'd is... Rather, I'd rather have Chapman. Ah, would I? No. I don't I want would either have... of them. I would rather I don't have want either of them. What I will say is, okay, that's the price for... Uh, a ninth inning or eighth inning guy because Kimbrell and Yenier Cano are probably going to split the ninth inning. When is Chapman getting the ninth inning? Never. It's Bednar's. When is Chapman getting the eighth inning? 50% of the time? He probably gets the eighth now just because of name value, but I would rather have Cole and Holderman. I understand where you're coming from. I would and, legit rather have Holderman in the eighth than him. And Majinski looked nasty last year nasty. too. The sweeper is gross. So you're telling me that by the deadline... If this guy's not performing to his 80th percentile outcome, he's going to be throwing the seventh inning and you're paying $10.5 million for a seventh inning guy? It must have been the market for him. They must view it him was just as the a market. guy. They must view him as a guy who is a first half performer when his arm is going well and that's what they're going to flip him for. That's that's. I agree with you, though. I saw 10.5. 
But I'm so numb to it, Jack. I can't believe you're not numb to it anymore. I was, and then it turns out I wasn't <laughs> numb enough. I am completely numb. He could have gotten 20. I'd be like, yeah, probably, somehow, even though I do not agree with it. I'm telling you, the flipping point, when Tywin Walker and Jameson Tyne got 80 million, I was like, I'm I'm done doing contract predictions. I'm just going to blow every prediction out of the water. I was low on Yamamoto. Arm thought I had four eyes. I said like 320 million, got 325. And I was trying to go high as like a gag on purpose. That's where we're at. So the other wrinkle to this is, if I'm not mistaken, McCutcheon was the guy in the batter's box when Chapman hit 105.1, and it nearly domed him. Yeah. Was it 105.9? No, I thought it was 105.1. I think that's the fastest recorded pitch. YouTube comments have been great at fact-checking. I've been reading. We read all the YouTube comments, ladies and gentlemen. What was it? Don't look it up, Jack. I want the YouTube comments to deliver it. Yeah, no, was you're I good. closer at 105.9 or was Jack closer at 105.1? Drop it in the YouTube comments below. I think and also it subscribe. is. Subscribe. Sure. Do that I mean, too. Yeah. I think it is 105.1 and he missed he inside. Up, no, no, no. I okay, did good. not. But I'm watching this YouTube video of McCutcheon getting hit with 101, like in the high shoulder neck region from Araldis Chapman. And I just, obviously you can point to intent or you'd entirely unintentional from Chapman. Regardless, that's going to leave a mental scar on McCutcheon. And I just wonder how that clubhouse dynamic is going to go. I have so much respect for these guys just getting hit with whatever miles an hour. Like I was at the bachelor party this weekend. We were playing wiffle ball, probably got hit in like the arm with a 40 mile an hour wiffle ball. I think I'm still nursing it. So the Did fact that they're getting hit. Yeah, I got a welt. I think I got it. Do you see it? That's a bruise. That's not a welt. That's a bruise. Yeah, the bruise. I'm bruised up right now. I'm kind of feeling like an athlete. From I was a wiffle showing ball? out. I was showing out with a ball. You didn't pop a shoulder? That's my thing. My right shoulder is always screwed when I try yeah. swinging. I was throwing innings. My elbow's a little sore, but, you know, we'll make it through. I'm tough. I'm a Noted. tough guy. I got a bruise. I got an elbow injury. Got Props to me. Yeah. I recently followed Bevo on Instagram, too. Talk about a Bevo. tough guy. You know Bevo, the guy with the buck teeth that doesn't chew his food? You know who I'm talking about? No. You've never seen these videos? What it's a guy channel that- of the internet are you on? A fun one. I love yeah, Bebo. But it's this guy will like take a bite of food and chew like once or twice and then just gulp it down. And people are obsessed and they hate him. All the comments are like, this guy sucks because he eats on camera and he doesn't chew much. The internet is undefeated. There's just such horrible people in comment section. That's why I'm so happy for our YouTube comment sections. All they're doing is fact checking, but it's like good. It's about baseball. It's just like ripping us to shreds of looks or, you know, whatever. Love our uh, YouTube people. You were called. I, I mean, you had some disparaging comps physically. And then I was called a young Papa John. What have you been called? Young Papa John. Is Someone so called me a young Papa John. And then I hear the Nick F30 thing all the time. Yeah. I mean, people, people just call me, you know, I don't even want to talk about it on the podcast, but people call me like slow versions of a lot of NFL quarterbacks. Oh, got a white. That's like, not nice. Yeah. Like slow Josh Allen, slow Matt Stafford. Like I get it. Okay. Oh. I have a pretty generic white guy face. And, but you're just calling me the slower versions of them. Which is like kind of a cop of it, but like no, not it's not at all. No, it's yeah, not. Like, That's very like mean. you kind of look like them if they got punched in the face. Oh. 
it's not you know whatever let's That's talk about nice. zips if you guys can think of something as creative as young papa john i'm totally open to hearing young it. papa john is incredible it's hilarious <laughs> it's incredible 40 pizzas in 30 days man I want to reread the MLB.com glossary definition of Zips projections, just like I did to open up the National League episode, because I think it provides good context. Zips is a system of player projections developed by Fangraph's Dan Simborski when he was at Baseball Think Factory. According to a Q&A on the Baseball Think Factory website, Zips uses growth and decline curves based on player type to find trends. It then factors those trends into the past performance of those players to come up with projections. The system uses stats from the previous four years for players aged 24 to 38. It weighs more recent seasons heavier. For younger players than 24 or for players older than 38, it uses weighted statistics from only the previous three years. The system also factors velo, injury data, play-by-play data, into its equations like other projection systems zips uses past performance and aging trends to develop a future projection for players on fan graphs the projections are updated daily and predict each player's numbers over the course of the remainder of the season obviously no one is claiming that every zips prediction will come true but it is widely regarded as one of the most accurate predictors in the industry there are a couple others that fan graphs has under their projections tab like steamer and the bats but Zips is kind of the crown jewel of those projection systems. And again, none of these critiques that we're going to have on Zips numbers that the algorithm punches out are critiques on Dan Zimborski. What he has done is a godsend for dorks like us because we get numbers to talk about before the numbers actually happen. And that's huge for us. Um, this is just notes from what the algorithm spits out. No, yeah, in layman's terms, this is a bunch of nerd shit that we get to argue about. That's yes. all it is. They're, they're baseline numbers where we say, I think he's going to be better than that. I think he's going to be worse than that. And it's all for arguments in the offseason. And, you know, I think it's important, right, when I'm making my bets, preseason, you know, futures, a bunch of stuff, looking at all the different ones, seeing patterns, seeing trends and projection systems. Um, they're all good. They all have their problems. It's just impossible to predict future success at a really high success rate because you never know what's going on off the field, right? Like we've heard plenty of players, they're struggling in the box. Why? Well, maybe it's a family thing at home or maybe it's it's something else. So it's impossible to perfectly predict these guys, but this is kind of the best we got. And now it's time to argue. Let's argue. Um, I went team by team, division by division. Did you yeah. do that too? And I just jotted down my main takeaways. And, and you tell me if we crossed over at certain takeaways. I want to start in the AL East with Baltimore. Cool. Zips really likes Gunnar Henderson. 26 homers, 93 ribbies, 12 bags, and a four-and-a-half win player. Corbin Carroll at 4.6, Gunnar at 4.5. There are a couple other notable war figures that I stumbled across, but I want to start with Gunnar at 4.5 and, and Adley Rutschman at 4.8. Yeah, what I noticed, I like looking at the 80th percentile and the 20th percentile and look at what a shit season from you could look like and what a pretty damn good season from you could look like. And Adley might be one of the safest players in Major League Baseball. What was his 20th percentile? Like three win season? I think so. I mean, just him him stinking it up. Like JT Real Muto put up a one and a half win season last year. Like this is Adley Rutschman sucking 
twice as good as JT was last year. Now, JT had one of his worst seasons. It's odd, even year JT, and now we're in an even year. So, yeah, we're in an even year. So we should expect a much better year just based on trends. But that goes to show how good of an overall player Adley is. And, of course, Gunner. I mean, he deserves that. I think it should have been higher. 4.6 F4, 123 WRC+. Plus. In his age 21 to 22 years. Would you put Gunnar Henderson in the same class of player as Corbin Carroll? Yes. Wouldn't you? It depends. If he's playing shortstop all year. If he's playing shortstop all year, yes. If he's playing third base, no. Because Carroll... Just accumulating the war. Well, Carroll can go 30-50 and be a six-win player. The stolen bases are what kind of really separates them, but... Don't you think Gunner has more power in his bat than Carroll does? But it's, it's kind of the same. They're, yeah, they can both oh. hit 30. Carroll is... it. It's different when you're looking at a guy like Julio Rodriguez, who's 6'4", 220. Right. It's like he's got everything in the tank. When Carroll's like 5'9", 180. But Carroll's got that in him. That's why we loved him so much for Rookie of the Year. That's why we love him so much moving forward. That's why we're ranking him so high, because he's so perfect on every level of the game. Great defender, great base runner, has power, bat to ball. He's a 5-2 player at its core, but he doesn't look like it. I I don't know. I guess the thing holding me back from saying that Gunner is in the same class going into this year, I think that this guy does end up in the same class as Carroll. But Carroll had... Not a far better year, but he had an objectively better year than Gunnar Henderson did. They both Gunner, were unanimous rookie of the years. Gunnar also started off really slow. Like his second half was unbelievable, and he's still 21, 22 years old. Right. Does Corbin Carroll have slow in his DNA? I don't know. He's too fast. He's going to beat out these these infield ground outs. And he's like, going to walk. that speed too. Yeah. But Carroll nope. has more. Carroll has triple the bags, that kind of thing. So it, it's it's picking hair. It's what pulling hairs. What is it? Splitting hairs. Splitting hairs. It's look splitting at me. Hairs. I think that's the first time I've ever corrected you on a, on something with wordplay. Do I need a nap? Do I need another coffee? What's going on here? But sit good on you. Let me sit back and let me talk to you about Jackson Holiday for a second. Okay. Yeah. Because Jackson Holiday's 80th percentile outcome. 282, 373, 427 for a 122 OPS plus at 4.1 war. I want to make sure that people know that this is an 80th percentile outcome. This is not 100th. This is 80th. Him at 20 years old is putting up a similar season to what Gunner did last year. Does he have that in the tank this year? Is that something? Because a 4.1 F4 at 20 kind of blew my shit out of the water just looking at those 80th percentile outcomes not 100th 80th does he have that in the tank right now short answer is i don't know longer answer is gunner has more pop than holiday does holiday can put up a crazy good number in the batting average department that nobody would expect from a 20 year old but that may be a bunch of singles and doubles he doesn't have 30 homer 2024 i like he he can't do that this year in 2026 when he's 22 years old yeah surely he could do it but as a 20 year old i think we're we're totally discounting the fact that this guy probably hasn't even finished puberty yet um it's look at his face 
I know, man. And hey, you saw some of the defensive struggles that he had yeah. in, in a quick sample in the Futures game. Like, obviously, the Futures game is one game at a 140, but you know, Gunner's probably the better defensive shortstop, all that kind of thing. Well, that's how I do my prospect scouting. I go to the Futures, the futures game. game. I'm like, these are my guys. And yeah. I have a 100% success rate. You guys are, you know, looking into other games, watching them more. Yeah. It's all bullshit. All how I did, need is five minutes. How did Cade Cavalli turn out for you? You know, we we, we still got he a blew shot. out. He blew out. You <laughs> totally still do have a shot. I still have a shot with Casey Mize. You still have a shot with Cade Cavalli. It works. It works. I, th- I think four is a little drastic. But a 2.7 projected war 50th percentile outcome for Holiday, that would be awesome if they got two and a half, three wins out of this guy, if they do give him the opportunity to go. And I think they will give him the opportunity to go. An interesting one to me was Kobe Mayo at two flat, a 2.0 projected war. That's 50th percentile. I think Mayo might be better than that. Mayo could hit 25 homers this year as a 21-year-old. Do you think he's going to get run? Where's he going to play? I hope so. I, it, Holiday and Mayo probably can't get run this year. Like the Orioles trade for a damn starter, you bunch of idiots. Come but on, they wouldn't move the either of those guys. They would move Joey Ortiz. Best version of this I, assortment would probably be cursed I, at it first. Do you think, uh, just a question for you, do you think that the Orioles could field a team this year based on all prospects who could like compete with the nationals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cause that's... we're talking about, we're talking about a, a Basayo catching. Let's put cursed at it at first for the sake of the exercise. Yep. Let's put holiday at second gunner at short Mayo at third. That would push. Uh, well, no, you Westbrook. can't put gunner on this team. Can't put gunner on this team. Okay. This would, like, so Joey let's Ortiz. sure. Joey Ortiz. And then, and then you've got Mayo at, at third. Yeah, and the outfield would be Cowser, Judd Fabian, and Beavers probably. Am I missing somebody? I feel like you are missing somebody. I don't know if I'm missing anybody. I feel like there's another really good outfield prospect outside of Cowser. I mean, Kerstad, but I put Kerstad yeah, at first base. True. Yeah, maybe that's who I'm thinking about. That might be right. That offense could compete. Pitching, I don't think they could yeah, compete, pitching, but no. that offense could compete. Absolutely. Pitching note for the Orioles. Dean Kramer has a lower ERA and more innings than G-Rod, which is interesting. Yeah, what I've noticed from these projection systems is that guys who don't have a ton of major league time yet, they're really hard to project. Yeah. Like, I'm not – that's why it's like these projection systems are never going to be perfect. Who's better – Grayson Rodriguez or Dean Kramer. I mean, did you see that man Grayson at the end of the year? Right. There's, I mean, there's no debate here, but with that said, I think Dean Kramer, it's like these guys who are not sexy. They don't have great stuff, but they're just like mid fours guys who throw a ton of innings. Like people just toss them to the side because they're not fun and exciting. These guys are valuable. Like Dean Kramer will prove to be, I think, valuable. I was going to say very, not very, but valuable to the Orioles. Just have a guy in Dean Kramer is like, yeah, if he gives us five innings, three runs today, we probably win the game. Yeah, And like that is valuable, especially over the season where guys are getting hurt all the time. Like he's decent. He's fine. So I wouldn't be shocked if like Grayson struggles a little bit. Do yeah. I think it's going to happen? No. 
It's also time to put some preseason respect on Kyle Bradish's name, who enters year three of his big league career. Did you see who his near age comps were? No, I didn't look at the pitchers. So these Zips blogs do do a really nice job of showcasing the comps and the algorithm will spit out near age offensive or pitching comps based on success and, you know, kind of kind of tenure experience at your age. And the comps for a 27-year-old Kyle Bradish, just turned 27, were Sonny Gray, Tim Hudson, and Justin Verlander. Pulled from Sonny, Tim Hudson, and Verlander at that young of an age. That's my thing about these projection systems and why I don't really look at them for pitching. They're not good for pitching, or at least from my experience projecting them out, they're much better on the offensive side because you just have so much more data points than you do with these pitchers. Now, let me say, Kyle Bradish... Two years like those the big three leagues. comps make no sense together. Tim Hudson and Justin Verlander in the same sentence. Why? They were all really maybe, good when they were young. Maybe from like, no, I agree. But just like they pitch completely different. Like those are two from, completely from different a pitch pitching. mix. This is from a production. production. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Like if they're both all in the low threes, like 190 innings. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess. I mean, Bradish's second season in the big leagues after a mid fours put up a sub three. Oh no, this has nothing to do with Bradish. This is nothing to do with Bradish. Yeah. It has to do with the algorithm spitting that out. But in reality, it's hey, first two years you were fine, then you were great. And that's the comp that spit out for those guys at at that age. We talked Uh, about Bradish, right? His only issue was this four seam fastball that he has basically shelved. And now he has a bunch of other elite pitches. I've and the Orioles are a pitching lab at this point. Like I trust in the Orioles. I'm not trusting them to acquire pitchers, but I am trusting them to develop them. And they've done an a bang up job here. I totally believe in Bradish. Who are the other examples aside from Bradish? I wouldn't call him a pitching lab just yet. Maybe not just yet, but I feel like every single time they get a bullpen arm, they're turning it them around. Um, I think they, for example, I think some other teams might have pushed DL Hall to be this starter, and the Orioles are like, nope, we know what he is right now. We know that he's this reliever. Um, but yeah, I mean, they haven't had a ton of success stories yet, but I think we're all starting to see them blossom kind of all at the same time. Got you. All right, Boston, quick for me. My only takeaway, the only projected hitters with a war over two are Devers at 3.6 and Trevor Story at 2.2. You've got Sedan Rafaela, Tristan Casas, and Masataki Yoshida all at 1.9. This offense might not be that good at all. Yeah, I I think the problem is that the these projection systems, right, heavily favored the last couple of seasons and the Red Sox offense over the past couple of seasons is not the reason they've been finishing in last place, but the reality is they've been 78 and 84 back-to-back years. And Trevor story has barely played for them, right? Yoshida has one year under his belt. It's hard to predict young rookies. So yeah, that's why these projection systems at times need to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, My biggest takeaway was, Trevor Story over all of them because Trevor Story at least has enough data from Colorado and he hasn't played a ton with the Red Sox but there's more like I'm not worried about Casas or Rafaela or Yoshida's their projections and Devers projection is certainly gaudy for good reason but it's Story an 80th percentile outcome of a 3.3 F4 20th percentile of 1.2 this is Trevor Story we're talking about here like when we make top 10 shortstop lists and all that kind of stuff, he ain't even being mentioned. It, I, think, I think it's just incredible how the he signs this big deal and then it's just, oh, 
it's like a sliding door. But so much of that seemed to be injury related. I know. But even if you're projecting over 150-ish games, 80th percentile, 3.3 F4? Yeah, I would consider that a good year for Story. It's not yeah. like he's a bad defender. He's no, going to get some bonus points. A, you would consider it a good year, not 80th percentile. It's a great year. Like a 3. great 3. year for Trevor Story is 3.3? 3. Mm, at this point in his life, I'd say a great year is a three-and-a-half win player. No, I agree with you. I'm just yeah. saying how the times have changed. That's yeah, my main for sure. point here is I just wanted to bring that up. An 80th percentile great year for him is a 3.3 F1. I mean, shit, man. Like he and Baez signed at the same exact deal in the same exact offseason. And look how times have changed for that guy, too. So it, a lot can change in baseball in not too long a time. And yeah, I think Baez Story and Baez are the best Baez, example. Baez doesn't even have an excuse. He hasn't been hurt. <laughs> no, like he's he's, he's offensively undisciplined i don't want to say it, stupid but he is and, offensively stubborn and undisciplined and his projections are worse than stories are i think he's projected a, a wrc plus in the 70s <laughs> horrible. horrible 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 the yankees a couple two hitters and they're the two big boppers did you see what judge and soto are projected at i wanted to talk about soto's 20th percentile outcome sure Soto's 20th percentile outcome is a 140 OPS plus. That last year would have been tied for 10th in Major League Baseball with Kyle Tucker. His shit year offensively. And I'm like, okay, I love one Soto too, but come on. He's never had a WRC plus below 140 in his entire career. His worst year was when he was 20. And he put up a 143. That's 43% better than the league average hitter when he was 20 years old with the Nationals. He is a generational, only comes around a couple of times hitter. At least that's what the projections say. And now in Yankee Stadium, the low end, he's a top 10 hitter. Like a shit year for him. He's got a projected 20% walk rate. 19.8% walk rate, 33 homers. This is 50th percentile, 33 homers, 103 driven in a 20% walk rate and a 16% K rate. They're both at five and a half war 80%. Both judge and Soto have a projected war over seven. No, it's, it's pretty cool comparing them side by side. Can you can look at all the percentile outcomes. You see that Soto is safer, but the upside of judge is is way more. Way more, but we're going to get to a Houston Astros player where his upside is it's insane. It's, it's insane. insane. I will say, judges near age offensive comps appreciate him while you can. Mickey Mantle, Manny Ramirez, Jim Edmonds. That's an insane shout threesome. Shout out Jim Edmonds because he was an elite defensive center fielder, and Judge is proving that he's a really good defensive center fielder. No, no I know why it's there. No, I'm yeah. just saying, shout out Jim Edmonds. He was that guy. He was that guy for sure. That guy. And now he says some weird stuff on Cardinals broadcast, but that's okay. Uh, pitching note for the Yankees, Carlos Rodon and Nestor Cortez, identical projected ERA at 3.86 in about 105, 110 innings, which I found interesting. They are expecting bounce back for Rodon. They are expecting maybe subdued version of Nestor Cortez. They've got Marcus Stroman at a 4.04 in 140 innings. Throw innings away. 
If I were to tell you coming into this year that Rodon and Nestor are both in the high threes and Stroman's right at four, are you doing backflips or are you doing front flips? No, I think that's exactly what I think they will do. That's what I think like 50th percentile outcomes are for all of them. Like, I think they're pretty spot on there. Now the innings, I don't know. But if you ask me, I am much more confident in a Rodon bounce back than a Nestor bounce back, personally. But we'll see. I, I still think Rodon can be that dominant ace figure. I still think he can be in the mid threes and throw 160, 170 innings. Nestor, I have my worries, but the market is crashing Rodon. And I don't get it. Like when he's on, he's on. The problem is he, he hasn't been on in the last 365 days. Yeah, he had a bad year. He's injured all year. I, he's going to bounce back. I'm much but when he was on the field, he had a six and a half ERA. It wasn't a good year. No, it was a year from hell for Carlos Rodon. Did you notice who Zips had outwarring Yandy Diaz? They were so low on Yandy Diaz. Isak Paredes and Randy Arozarena outwarring Yandy Diaz. 80th percentile war for Paredes is 4.5 off of a 4.3 war season. 80th percentile war for Randy Arozarena is 4.2. 80th percentile war for Yandy Diaz. This has to be a miscalculation. 80th percentile war for Yandy Diaz. 3.8 off of a 4.7 war season. Where does that come from? And I looked at some of the other projection systems. Like Steamer really values Yandy Diaz. They view him as a mid to high threes player at his 50th percentile. Zips, for some reason, just doesn't really like him. I think they don't like him because he's a terrible defender at a non-premium position. And I think they probably think he regresses a little bit with the bat. Um, Because we have to remember, like Yanni Diaz in 2022, put up a 146 WRC plus with a 3.7 F4. Like if he's just that guy again in his 80th percentile, like this year from Yandi, 164 WRC plus at a 4.7 F4. That could be the best year he ever has in his career. I'd put an 80th percentile more closer to like a 4.2 win season for Yandy. So I'd be a little bit higher on Yandy because I think he's just such a clean hitter. And as long as he's not a garbage man janitor over there at first, that's where I'm at. So you think last year was beyond wildest dreams for Yandy DS? Like that was 100th percentile? I think a 4-7 war might be his career high when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think so too. It's just, it's crazy to me that Zips views that as entirely unattainable. Yeah, that's, it's not entirely unattainable. I would take the, like, what are we saying here? Would you take the over on 3-8 next year? I probably would. I probably would. But not much higher. But that's his 80th percentile. But like we're we're talking about war here with Yanni. It's like he can't talk about the war because he cannot field. And it's just the WRC plus. It's look at look at the offensive numbers. Look at the OPS. Look at the WRC plus. Like if he plus. puts a well, one fifty WRC plus and plays trash defense, he's a four win player and and he's a great hitter. No, he might be a three win player if he puts up a one fifty and plays horrible defense. No, he put up a one forty six and put up a three seven. Okay, got you. Got you. Um, pitching note for Tampa before we move on to Toronto. They have Zach Eflin at a 3-3-8 ERA in 150 innings. To note, obviously Eflin's coming off a great year. Zips loves Eflin. He had a career best year at a 3-5. So they think he's 12 points lower than that 
And that's his 50th percentile projection. Yeah, but when you look into, I mean, Eflin's peripherals. Were better than a 3-5. Yeah. 3-1-1 expected ERA, 3-0-1 FIP, and 3-1-2 XFIP. Every single peripheral tells you he was actually better than a 3-5 and better than a 3-3-8. I love Eflin going forward. He has found something with the Rays. His pitch mix is disgusting. The command, he doesn't walk anybody. Nobody. Nobody. Strikes out almost 10 per nine. Puts the ball on the ground. I mean, no wonder the Rays traded glass now. I mean, they've got someone off the street. They've got Aaron Savali. <laughs> they got like the seventh inning guy swingman from the Phillies from a couple of years ago and then turned him into a legitimate ace caliber pitcher can't call him an ace yet hasn't proved it long enough but the talent and the numbers from last year would tell you that was ace caliber he's no danny duffy yet man all right toronto to wrap and then we go to the al central and al west do you see what they have your guy vladdy at yeah too high (laughs) 31 (laughs) homers 100 driven in a 134 ops plus and a three-win player, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You might be the only guy in baseball media. In just, you might be the only baseball fan that is low on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming into twenty twenty-four. Prove it to me. And it's so funny because Blue Jays fans have now, like, I see them in you know my comments and stuff. It's like now I hate the Blue Jays. I don't hate the Blue Jays. Vladdy, you hate Vladdy. You hate Vladdy because he lost you money, a lot of money. But what comes out of that? I watched Vladimir Guerrero Jr. take at-bats maybe more than any other player in Major League Baseball. I watched so many Blue Jays games, so many Vladdy at-bats, and the amount of times that this guy grounded into a double play on a fastball middle-middle, the amount of times that he swung first pitch on a ball, his plate discipline was so, so bad, but he's just so freakishly talented that he can put up pretty good numbers while literally having dog shit plate discipline. Now we've seen the reports. Everybody has, he's, you know, fixing all this stuff in the off season. He's getting the lab. He's going to be much better. I got to believe it when I see it. Like we are two years now removed. 2021 is legitimately the only great year he's ever had. When pitchers had no idea what to do with him. Now they do like, we just keep buying into it because it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s top prospect at some point. It has to hit, right? If he does not fix these problems at the plate, and I'm Blue Jays fans, you, I'm looking straight in the camera. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. It was dog shit. The amount of double plays. This guy had a ground ball rate that was closer to like Luis Arias. That was closer to these speedsters. You can't have that. You just can't. He's not a good base runner. He's not a good fielder. So he has to be an elite hitter. I got to see it. He's elite freakish talent. He is not elite in terms of play discipline. And until I see it, I'm going to continue to be down on him. He's going to go berserk and he's going to prove you wrong. That's what everyone's saying. All right, let's see. Yeah, count me as part of everyone. It's fine. I'm willing to be wrong. Can I say one more thing beyond Vladdy? (laughs) Sure. Davis Schneider's 80th percentile outcome was better than George Springer's. Uh, got me fired 50th, up. 50th percentile, higher war than George Springer and Dalton Varsho. Higher OPS plus than those guys, too. Fired me up. Let's go, Davis Schneider. We like Davis Schneider. This is the not stash. a gag. Yeah, 
He can hit. He can really hit. All right. Sort these guys by ERA, lowest to highest. Chris Bassett, Jose Barrios, Yusei Kikuchi, Alec Manoa. Manoa's last. Manoa's last. Um, four four eight. Four four eight. I'm gonna go. Barrios one, Kikuchi two, Bassett three. Bassett one at three eight three. Barrios two at four one two. Kikuchi three at four three eight. Manoa four at four four eight. Bassett one. Bassett one. I got a blindside for him because when I watch him, I don't see a good pitcher. But like, so I, I don't like watching him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like <laughs> seems like a great guy. Seems like a really nice guy. Oh, yeah. I just don't like watching you. No, like I, I don't get it. Like it's, it's these like two seamers. He must just be impossible to pick up. Like he must do something that it's like I can't see it from the TV. But when you get in the box, he must be so weird. Because I've seen when I watch Chris Bassett is. He goes through the first, he goes through the lineup, and nobody can touch him. Nobody. Then I feel like you have a, a discussion in the dugout, be like, just wait. Just like, don't swing at any of his bullshit. And the fifth inning, it's a three-run home run. And it's just like that. So I feel like there it takes some time to adjust to his funkiness. He is better than I always think when I'm watching. That's just the bottom line. Okay. Added wrinkle. Throw Ricky Tiedemann in that assortment. Where does he fit? I, I mean, what are we talking about here? You got to be able to throw innings. Like he's getting injured all the time. Like not yeah, all the time. He was not... dealing with one big injury. I know. It's just like I, I don't know what to do with him. Like the talent he... is crazy. He could be legitimately the number two next to Gosman, or legitimately never pitch in Major League Baseball. I don't know. So Tiedemann is a projected four oh eight ERA in a little yeah, under a like, hundred innings. Doesn't know. Nobody knows. Zips may know. <laughs> they all don't right. know. We're going to jump like into it. He can legitimately be a 3-2 or a 5. You don't sure. Know. Yeah. yeah. Split the difference. Call it a 408. Split the All difference. right. We're going to jump to the AL Central. Then we'll wrap with the American League West. But before that, first break. Let's start with the Cleveland Guardians. Andres Jimenez had a 3.6 war last year. He was a six-win player before that. They love Andres Jimenez. Zips has Andres Jimenez putting up an identical war to Corbin Carroll at 4.6. Do you think Andres Jimenez is a four and a half win player? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty uh, bold. You know me. You know me. I'm an Andres Jimenez guy. Even when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. Shit. Maybe I'm not the biggest Andres Jimenez guy out there. His 80th percentile outcome is his six win season. Six. That's not hundredth. That's eightieth. It's a great year. Six win season. But again, if you take out last year, which of course matters, yeah. put up a six point two F four season. I mean, this guy has it in the tank. There's a reason the Guardians gave him this type of contract. Now, do I think? Yeah, I legitimately think he's going to be a five win player next year. I think he's due for a big bounce back. He's too talented. I always thought he was such a good player. So, yeah, it's crazy, but it ain't that crazy. What do you think about it? So he's obviously getting a ton of boost because he is a world-class defender, and that's going to help the war. He's platinum glove level every year. 
regardless, like he could have a 60 WRC plus. I think he's, he's a shortstop playing second. It's like Semyon. I think they're just world-class at second because they're not out of position, but they can yes. play short. So the question is, do you view this guy as a 142 WRC plus guy where he slashed what? 297, 371, 466. Or do you view him as a 97 WRC plus guy? I probably view him in, in the 100 range, 100 to 105 range. He was 105 his rookie year, 2021, he was 76. So like it was really strong 2020 at 105 and 1.2 wins in 49 games. And then it was eh, like not great offensively in 2021. 2022, he's an awesome offensively and that results in a six win season. And then this past year, he regresses offensively to just below league average, and he's a three-and-a-half-win player. I think this guy puts up a WRC plus right around 105, and that in turn would probably push him to four-war. I think he's a four-win player. I don't know if he's a four-and-a-half-five-win player. I don't think you're giving him enough credit offensively. Um, his career WRC plus is 112. I think that's where he's going to be. I would even give him a step further. Remember, he's going to be 25 years old, right? Like, he is still a young cat. I I would put him in the I'd, – I'd make his median next year 115 WRC plus with great defense. That's five wins. Better, that's four yeah. and a half, five wins. That's what I'm saying. That's why I, I'd put that there. I think he's going to be better offensively. You know, there's some numbers that would, you know, point to him at least being better than that, not to the 142 WRC+. plus. I think that ends up being probably his best offensive season ever. But I think he settles into a career in the 110 to 120 range, some 130 years, some 98 years. And, like, that's kind of what he is with gold glove caliber defense. So his BABIP was over 350 in the year that he went berserk, and his BABIP was under 290 last year. That's what I'm saying. Like it's it, going to be it in the middle. Extremes. It was too extreme. So that's the thing, man. Like that's kind of why I plant him probably in the 105, 110 WRC but I plus think range. You're more putting it at the low, and I'm putting it right in the middle. I'm a negative and guy, man. I think you I just hate it. him. I I hate everybody. <laughs> so that's my problem. Also, All I was right. thinking it's better to be called a young Papa John than like, you know, Jerry from Subway. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Do you think I look like Jared from Subway? Let's get this no. out of the way. No, I don't. I'm just okay, saying good. it's better. In terms of you. fast food moguls, it's yeah. better for yeah. me to be Papa better. John. The disgraced Papa John. Yeah. All right. Rank these guys <laughs> in order of projected ERA. Okay. Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams. I have a feeling they're going to be really high on Gavin. Uh, maybe not because there's not enough data. I mean, give me Bobby one. Give me McKenzie two. Give me Bieber three. Give me Gavin four. Give me Allen five. Bieber one at three five two. McKenzie two at three five four. Bobby three at three eight one. Allen four at four oh six. Gavin Williams five at four one two. Pretty lame of zips to go chalk. That is chalk. Like, 
I mean, come on. Like, do you have a do you believe in anything, Zips? The do only you believe in anything? The only thing that I viewed not necessarily chalk was having Gavin Williams below Logan Allen, although Allen was better at the major league level last year yeah. than Gavin Williams. That's was. what I'm saying. You basically ranked them by how good they've been at the major league level in their careers. Yeah. Like, congrats. Me, I believe in something. Bybee one, McKenzie two. And remember, this is not an indictment on Bieber. This is praising Bybee and McKenzie. I mean, these two at their peak are just shut the door type pitchers. And Gavin Williams, I mean, there are some days where he looks like Grayson. There's other days where he certainly does not. And Logan Allen is just straight up solid. That's why I'm high on the Guardians this year. They ain't my five-unit whale, but I am, I'm invested in them. This pitching is too good to fail. I mean, unless they all get hurt like last year. What can you do? Zips does believe in Spencer Torkelson. As they should. Wait, one more thing about the Guardians before we move on. How about Kyle Manzardo, 138 WRC plus 80th percentile? Yeah, I that's real. Do that? That's real, man. Like he's bat. he's so good with the stick, and he was unhealthy yeah. last year. I'm just excited about him. I mean, remember, for Savali, this could be one of those guys where it's like, all right, Kyle Manzardo's hitting third in the Guardians lineup and like protecting J Ram. Maybe he's hitting fourth, J Ram third, whatever. Like he's the protection. You think about Josh Naylor, think about Bo, start putting Kyle Manzardo in those conversations is what I'm saying. Absolutely. That's what Zips is saying. N- Naylor and Manzardo, I think, should be viewed in, not should be right now, because one of them doesn't have a big league plate appearance under their belt. But I, I do think that come June, we'll be looking at Manzardo and, and Josh Naylor in a very similar light. Agreed. Almost interchangeable. Zips loves Spencer Torkelson. Mm-hmm. 33 homers and a 0.8 war improvement from 1.4 last year up to 2.2. And the power output was there for Torque. I think Torque had 30 homers on the nose. Yeah. Up 33. And they think that the offensive game will just be more well rounded to the point where that bumps him to a two and a half win player. How can you not believe in Spencer Torkelson? The bat's too good. He was lauded as this generational type bat coming out of ASU. Like when you're drafting a first baseman, DH type, number one overall, you got to really believe in the bat. And the Tigers were not idiots. A lot of people thought the same thing. This guy's bat is, it's not better than Vladdy's, but like, I'm thinking about it. And everyone's going to call me nuts, but I think Spencer Torkelson has better play discipline than he does, and he's got insane juice. Just don't be surprised when Torque has a better year than Vladdy. Just don't. Be surprised. Dude. We, we need that. We need to have a discussion. Spence Torque was addressed first overall. You like Torque, don't you? I like Torque. You love He's Torque. not Vladimir Guerrero Jr., man. We'll see. All right. We'll see. Anything else you got on Detroit? I saw oh, yeah, Tarek. Okay. I, plenty. I, I saw Tarek Scoobel. They they really like Tarek Scoobel, as they should. I will be betting on him to win the Scion. That's how much I like Tarek Scoobel. Uh, Javier Baez's 80th percentile outcome is 101 WRC plus. <laughs> Again, I this guy it. is just so stupidly stubborn. He has never, ever made an improvement in the plate discipline conversation. A couple of reasons why I never feel bad about always taking the opportunity to make fun of Javier Baez. Number one, he makes more money than I think I'll ever make in 10 lifetimes. So he can just go back to his house, not worried about what I'm saying on the mic. And just collect insane amounts of cash. Number two, he refuses to take advice in order to fix his plate discipline. Nothing. I mean, it's just, 
It's the eighth inning. They're down by four. He's swinging at sliders low and away. He's up, their Tigers are up by four. Same thing. It's a tie game. Same thing. I mean, it's just nothing is working for him. So I don't never feel bad about making fun of him. The fact that he's owed 98 million more dollars and he's under contract till 2027. A great year as an average hitter for Javier Baez at this point. Just embarrassing. Number two, they are way too low on Kerry Carpenter. Way too low. 80th percentile is a two-win season for him. No shot. No way. Kerry Carpenter put up a 2.2 F4 last year in what? How many games did Kerry Carpenter play? Pulling it he, up was, right he was hurt for a good bit. I know he, he made a rehab a assignment. Bit. He played 118 games last year. 20 bombs. 340 OBP, 471 slug, 121 WRC plus, 2.2 F4. His 80th percentile outcome, this is just wrong. 2 F4 is wrong. He is going to be a three and a half win player. I think he could hit 25 to 30 jacks. That's in Detroit, in Comerica. This guy is the second best hitter on their team, or maybe third if obviously Riley Green is very good, but Riley Green's probably a more well rounded player. But Carpenter can swing it, and he's going to hit some bombs this year. Yeah, Carpenter, I don't think they know how to value him because he is a DH and because he was a minor league breakout. He, but even then, if you account for minor league data, like it was all yeah. really good in 2022. In 2021, he was fine. Like it was, it was a 102 WRC plus in AA. So I just wonder if they're trying to discount the 2022 minor league season. And like, I, I, I don't know how they can defend a two-win season for Kerry Carpenter. If you said that was his 50th percentile outcome, okay. Yeah, fine. I'm still higher on him, but that's okay. 80th percentile? No. That's just wrong. I will stand on that. I'm standing on business right now. I'm in. Yeah. What else you got? Anything? Um, No, I just really wanted to make sure that Kerry Carpenter was not disrespected and that Javier Baez was disrespected even more than already so. Noted. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. should not be disrespected by a soul on the planet. Bobby Witt Jr., 26 homers, 97 RBIs, 35 bags, and a four-win player. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. MJ Melendez is, by the way, projected again at 0.0 war, which is where he was last year. Yeah, the uh, the all-I-did-nothing squad. The guys who played at least like 140 games and put up a 0.0 F war. The people sitting at home, you and I can say that we had the same exact war. I don't know if that actually makes sense, but we all had zero. It was Elias Diaz, your all-star game MVP. It was... Andrew Benintendi. Andrew Benintendi. um, Melendez. MJ Melendez and Kyber Ruiz of the Washington Nationals. The all-nothing squad. 0.0 F4. It's a unique list. It's a lot of catchers. But yeah, I really wanted to talk about MJ. I wrote that one down as well. A 20th percentile outcome is a negative 1.4 F4 guy. Like a legitimate detriment to the Royals. It's because he can't defend. And his 80th percentile is 1.7. Now the bat, 137 WRC+. plus. If he has another one of these seasons like he did last year, that's when, you know, in, in the episode where we did New Year's resolutions, I was hell-bent on this is a big year to find out who your core is. What do the Royals do with MJ Melendez if he again proves he has no position and he's a 115 WRC plus guy? What do they do? 
because you can't have that guy. You're not extending him. What do you do? Right? Because he's got talent. It's clear he's got juice, right? He's quick. You play catcher, sort of. Not really. I know, not really. I, I don't know what you do. I, I mean, right now, do. right now they've got Nelson Velasquez slotted in as the DH. I think you need and how much longer is Salvador Perez going to catch? So MJ my question was is supposed to be the next guy, right? He was supposed to be the next guy. turns out he's like not good back there. So then he goes to the outfield. It turns out he's not good out there either. I think Nelson Velasquez can get by in a corner. You put Velasquez in left MJ's the DH this year, but again, moving forward, you know, you, you are you going to go sign a catcher? Do you have another catcher coming through the ranks? Like, I, I don't know if, um, who was their first round pick this year? Uh, catcher uh blake mitchell like blake mitchell's not gonna be there for several years he was a high school yeah. draftee so and like you, a young high school draftee right wasn't he 18 i think yeah he was 18 um, yeah. i don't think he was 17 i think aiden miller was 17 that was the okay. young guy philly but melendez i think you need to sign a free agent catcher next year or, or whenever you part ways with sal perez and you realize that that guy just can't catch they're willing to have him catch consistently, but you got to get that guy's glove out of the field, man. And that's where his value is. His value comes from not playing in the field. And his value comes from the bat. He put up a 92 WRC plus last year, 92, 8% worse than league average when you cannot field. And I'm giving him 115 because I believe in the bat. What if he's at a 98, right? A little bit of improvement, still below league average, and he can't field. Do you just commit to him a catcher? And be like, if you can't make as a catcher because like we cannot have your bat in the lineup as a below average corner, I think you might just have to commit to him as a catcher. I don't know what they do. It's a it's a fascinating conversation. In terms so that's of that's all I really had for the Royals. Because yeah. it's like, well, Bobby's just insane. They were pretty low on Vinny P. You see that? It's so hard because he was good yeah. for half a season and then he was hurt the entire season. Yeah. Melendez last year, 126 games in the outfield, 72 in right, 58 in left. He caught 10 games. I just, I don't know if you can do that anymore. I don't know if you can shove him at the catching spot. It feels like a Varsho thing. If Toronto said, hey, Varsho's going to catch, what are you responding to with that? It's like, does he remember how? No, but it's also like Varsho was a a good one. He was a defender in the outfield. MJ is terrible in the outfield. Or at least that's what he's proven thus far. But he's a terrible catcher. Is he worse than Salvi? It seems like the Royals don't really care about catcher defense. He might be worse than Salvi. Salvi's like generationally bad. Yeah, so is MJ. But he has a bunch of gold gloves, which shows you how much gold gloves matter. Ah, All right, pitching note for Kansas City. There's not a single arm under four. Cole Reagan's your guy is projected at a 404 ERA. You calling BS on that or what, man? Yeah, of course I am. Of course I am. But they don't have enough data to go off of because they have been, you know, these come from the past couple of years where he was a reliever and he was a spot starter. And then he starts throwing 97 at the top of the zone with a bullet slider and an unhittable changeup. Now, 404 is completely disrespectful. I'd set his line at 3-6. And he's going to be below that. But they don't but have he- enough data. So I, I'm not I'm not getting on zips. You just you, you haven't seen it with my eyes. You yeah. haven't seen it with my eyes. With or your eyes. Or anybody who's watched Reagan's at the tail end of the season. 4.04, I mean, it's laughable. 
Minnesota. Zips loves Pablo Lopez. As they three should. and a half win pitcher, 27% K rate, a mid three ZRA in 174 innings. Pablo's that guy, man. He's been great the last couple of years. He's 27 years old right now. He's way younger than you would expect him to be. He's an ace at this point. I do believe that he is. Is there a difference between a one and an ace? That's the thing. Is there a difference between a one and an ace? Because Lopez is a very serviceable one. I feel great about him being the one in my rotation. How many aces are there in Major League Baseball? I do think that he's a top 15 arm in baseball. I think an ace is a top 10 pitcher in baseball, but there are 30 number ones. Yeah. So I think an ace is a top 10 pitcher. I think Pablo Lopez is a one. Like I think Pablo Lopez, if he is starting game one of the World Series for you and you're on a playoff team, you can beat anybody. Yes. But if it's Garrett Cole, if it's Shohei Otani, if it's guys like that, or just overwhelmingly can put you on their back and you only need to give me one run against any lineup, like that's an ace. So the aces in baseball are Cole, Otani, Wheeler, Strider, Burns, Gosman. I know, like, okay, I'll give Strider it, but like... Strider's there. Sure. Braves think- fans are going to be up in arms. Nerds are going to be up in arms. And I'm a nerd too, so that's not a... That's not a slight. I just like, like, can I see it? Three eight six last year. I know all the peripherals are like, no, Peter, he's like a two five. I know, I know, I see the same numbers that you are. But there are times like where I'm watching Spencer Strider give up a couple of bombs. I was in the park at Citizens Bank where they were all over him. Like, he is a phenomenal talent. But when you're a two pitch guy, like some things can go wrong. That's all I'm saying. Everyone's just crowning him the best pitcher in baseball because of the expected numbers. I'm like, he's very good. Let's temper expectations a little bit. And me not calling him a bona fide ace yet is okay. And I know I'm going to get pushback, but I just need to see it again. And if he does it, you're right. I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to call somebody an ace later on in the episode, and we can we can revisit this conversation. But yeah, I I think he's probably. Just on the outside of ace hood, he can make that leap this year realistically. If he you puts want to hear who my aces are. Sure. Are they those six? Say them again. Cole, Otani. Yep. yep. Burns. Yep. Wheeler. Yep. Gosman. Yep. Uh, I had one more strider. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, I would put Logan Webb in that conversation. Okay. He's just earned it. And that is probably the end of the list. Gallon's knocking on the door. Castillo's knocking on the door. Kirby is legitimately knocking at the door. If still Kirby's Kirby's knocking on the door, then Pablo Lopez is knocking on the door too. 100% Pablo Lopez is knocking at the door. 100%. Um, It's probably it. Um, Let me do one more search. Eflin. No, I'm just kidding. No, but Pablo Lopez is 100% knocking at the door. Um, is Verlander still an ace? Maybe. Hitter, hitter note for Minnesota, because we're going to revisit the ace conversation oh, at the tail end. I'm yeah. still giving Sandy the ace nod. Oh, yeah, sure. And yeah. Grom. Yeah, when he okay. Once a year. <laughs> so we're up to eight or nine. Yeah. Um, Hitter note for Minnesota to wrap up the NL or the AL Central. 
Carlos Correa is projected at a 3.8 war. That's after 1.1 last year. A projected 50th percentile, 117 OPS plus after a 94 OPS plus last year. They view 2023 as the worst possible outcome for Carlos Correa. And frankly, I agree with them. Couldn't agree with them more. I put out on Twitter, who would you rather have for 2024, Gunner or Correa? And in my opinion, I thought it was relatively close. Now you could say Gunner is more exciting. The poll got around 3,000 votes. 87% Gunner. Oh my it, God. Oh my God is right. And I was like, guys, what happened in the past offseason, right? He got bounced around from contracts because the guy was obviously injured, right? That was the big scuttlebutt. What's going on in the medicals? And he played hurt. But then you saw him in the playoffs hit 406. Do not forget who Carlos Correa is. And now I've been on this podcast being called the Carlos Correa hater. When people are like, he's the best shortstop in baseball. And I'm like, all right, I think he's top four. I don't think he's the best. Now I feel like I'm now high on Carlos Correa compared to the market. And it's funny how a season can change like this. In 2021, Correa put up a 6.2 F4, a 133 WRC+. plus. We are two years removed from that. And in 2022, 4.4 F4, a 140 WRC+. Plus. And that was a year he struggled a little bit on defense. He still won the platinum glove, I think. Guys, this is Carlos Correa. This is, and I called him MLB's Jimmy Butler, <laughs> in the sense of he is a playoff performer in the regular season. It's kind of up in the air of what he's going to do. And I know regular season certainly matters, and I know it does. But you're telling me how many players you want at the plate Bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded to win the World Series over Correa. I bet it's less than 10. And I know that sounds crazy. Game on the line. He's that dude. Like, let's not forget who he is. And I've been called a hater of his. He's still There's a reason he signed a billion-dollar contract. The exact conversation we had with Seager last year. Do not forget about Correa. It's crazy because if you ask that in NBA terms, all right, run with the Jimmy Butler comp. Would you rather have Jimmy Butler or Paolo Boncaro? Coming into this year. Boncaro's awesome. Boncaro's an awesome player. But Jimmy awesome. Butler, man. Jimmy Butler wasn't coming off a year where he averaged 10 points a game and, and was clearly playing hurt. Like Now it's easy to see if Correa does like what an average Carlos Correa does. You know, we're sitting here like, of course, we told you so. But he was just really bad last year because he was hurt. Like Correa and Royce Lewis dragged this Twins offense to a series against the Astros. Yes. Did you see the rest of their lineup? Julianne, were, Julianne provided uh, a spark. 100%. But like Julianne provided a spark exactly as the case. No, Royce Lewis. You know what I'm saying? Royce Lewis gave them that two-game sweep over Toronto. These guys do not sleep on Carlos Correa. That's all moving into this year. Yeah. We cannot give up on guys so quickly. One year and we're done? We're going to talk about a White Sox later. I mean, some of these are so disrespectful. Talk about the White Sox now. I didn't have any takeaways from the White Sox page. I mean, is baseball done with Tim Anderson? 80th percentile outcome is a 102 WRC plus? What? In 2022, he had a two-win season in 79 games. In 2021, 4.6 F4. Baseball teams seem to be done with him. Hasn't signed yet for a reason. Come on. This guy is way better than that. I think 
Yeah. Tim- I'd rather have Tim Anderson than Javier Baez. Yes. You? Oh my God. Yes. And it's a like, million oh times God, over. Yes, right. That made me sad. It was such a horrible year all around for Tim year. Anderson. Get it. Can we give guys one bad year, please? Like, no, not done really. With guys, after one bad year, come on. He's not 40. His low 30s. Can How old is he? 32? Yeah, I think so. That's what I saw at 31. Might be 31. Tim Anderson started his career in 2016. He's 30 years old. I mean, he'll be 31 in um, June in season. That's why 31 was in my mind. But he's 30 right now. Come on. He's not dog water. Respect my man, Tim Anderson. Respect him. I agree. They seem to respect Luis Robert, too. They had him at, what, a low four war? Yeah, they're like 20% was like, if he just plays, he's going to be amazing. Because he's he's a gold glove center fielder. I know it sounds crazy. You know, I'm doing all my win total stuff. I think the White Sox number is too low. 63. (sighs) It's too low. It's a low number, but it's too low. I know the market bottomed out last year. I mean, it could bottom out again. I mean, they haven't done anything. And like, they did get John Brebbia. Yeah, I mean, would you call Brebbia and Paul DeYoung and Martin Maldonado and Eric Fetty nothing? That's something. Eric Fetty was a KBO legend. KBO MVP, Eric Fetty. KBO MVP, Eric. Two-year, $15 million, Eric Fetty. Would you rather give the money to Eric Fetty or Roland (laughs) Chapman? I mean, damn. (laughs) Based on the KBO, Fetty. 63 might be too low. I might have to bet the over, but like, I don't want to be watching White Sox games, like rooting for them to win all year. I'm fine watching them for their talent and their players. I don't want to be rooting for them to win. I don't blame you. They never win. We're going to take one more break. AL West when we come back. So there were two guys on the Houston Astros that I, I did did the classic like move my glasses in and out on my face thing. Like, are you serious? This is what we're looking at. You can guess, and you're right. They're Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Who do you want to start with, Tucker or Jordan? Start with Tucker first because Jordan is a mountain. It's insane. Kyle Tucker, 50th percentile, his run-of-the-mill projections. 28 homers, 102 driven in, 23 for 27 in the stolen base department. And the near-age offensive comparisons of Mookie Betts, Amos Otis, who I think was playing during the 70s for Kansas City, and Barry Bonds, a young Bonds in Pittsburgh. We're not talking the 70... Yeah, we're not talking the 73 homer Barry Bonds. We're talking the guy that was 30-30 Barry Bonds. And Tucker was a homer away from a 30-30 season while leading the American League in RBIs. He's a threat to hit 300. He's a really good defensive right fielder. I've been saying it for the last year and a half, two years, that Kyle Tucker's a $300 million player. He's going to get $300 million at some point soon. He's 27 years old, a young 27 years old. Yeah, and um, it's funny Amos Otis came up because I'm ranking expansion teams. On our next YouTube video, you're going to find that article. And I was going through all these old 70s guys, and I didn't really know much about Amos Otis. But we're talking about the late 70s Royals, and like Amos Otis legitimately put up a Kyle Tucker season in 1978. 22 bombs, 32 stolen bases. He only struck out 9.5% of the time, 11.6% walk rate. 
slash 298-380-525, a 150 WRC plus with a 7.2 war. Like, don't sleep on Amos Otis. <laughs> that year is extremely attainable for Kyle Tucker. 22-25 bombs, 30-plus stolen bases, hitting 300, 150 WRC plus, playing great defense. I mean, that's a top 10 player, MVP candidate. That's what Tucker is perpetually. Yeah, the only thing that isn't attainable is the K rate under 10%. <laughs> yeah, that's... But he could one. have the K rate in the low 20s or maybe even right at 20. Yeah. And that's what will dock you a little bit. And that's probably why he's a 140 WRC plus guy with a six-win season. But Kyle Tucker is box office, and he doesn't wear batting gloves. So he's a grinder. I like grinders. I mean, dude, this guy put up a 14% K rate last year. Maybe he is more Amos Otis than we think. Maybe. That's a positive. But the thing is... Otis didn't do it for all that long, but I mean, he was over a hundred WRC plus for like the entire 1970s. It's near age offensive comp. So it's hey, who yeah. did it in like their age 25 and 26 season. And it's Amos Otis, Mookie Betts and Barry Bonds. Pretty Damn. Good Pretty good. Now company. Jordan Alvarez, who has better company. Jordan Alvarez, a projected 298, 36 homers, 109 driven in five and a half win season. And the near age offensive comps of Frank Thomas, Freddie Freeman, and Eddie Murray. Hall of Famers. He's All that guy. He's, oh, he's that guy. Officially that guy. And the algorithms know that he's that guy. He's like a Willie McCovey esque type player, but like better bat to ball. Did you see what his 80th percentile outcome is in terms of WRC plus? Seven? No. Not not a win above replacement WRC plus. Oh, um, is it one seventy? One ninety four. Yeah. Judge was next best one eighty nine, five percent better than Judge. Eightieth percentile outcome. Eightieth. Remember that crazy season Judge had, sixty three bombs, hit three twenty. It was around a two hundred WRC plus, and that's Jordan's eightieth percentile outcome that's what he has in the tank generational hitter next year make a pact with yourself do not miss Jordan Alvarez AB because he was a little bit banged up last year I took his under I'm never doing that again yeah you I should. took his under on home runs it hit. that was idiocy <laughs> that was crazy <laughs> Man. that was awesome but I mean this is a turn on the TV every night and just lock into his AB's kind of guy yeah don't One- miss him one takeaway for the Angels, they have Mike Trout at a 2.8 war, 50th percentile, 2.8 war. He has never been below three in a season where he's played 60 or more games. What are we doing? Is is the Trout decline on? Yeah. Dude, he's hurt all the time. Yeah, but even Bad. when he's hurt all the time, let's go back to when he's been hurt all the time. Okay. 3.8 F4 is 80th percentile outcome. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing for who? He played 119 I games. I don't know who it is embarrassing for. He was hurt in 2022. He missed 40 games. He played 119 games. Do you know what his war was in 119 games? Above four, wasn't it? Six. <laughs> We're talking about one year. He played 36 games in 2021, and he had a 2.2 war. 
in 36 games, man. He's different, dude. He is so different. Yeah, we're not talking about the decline being on. We're talking about him coming off of a year from hell in 2023. And I got to see it to believe it that he's not Mike Trout anymore. You know what? I'm so glad you put me back on the Mike Trout train because I was getting off it a little bit. Why? Like, that sold me. I don't know. I don't know. It, I think I've been the media. Energy. It's the it's same the energy. It's fake news media. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I hate those guys. It's the same energy as docking Correa for that one bad year. What are we doing? We I'm can't in. do the one-off bullshit. And I like that Zips doesn't do the one-off thing, but it seems like they're heavily accounting that he has been unavailable the last couple of years and he was unavailable and underwhelming last year. What does underwhelming look like for Mike Trout? 82 games, three wins, and a 134 WRC+. plus. He's never fallen off. He just hasn't been on the field. He had 18 bombs last year? 18 bombs. In, in 82 eight, games. Yeah, so if he's, let's say he plays 150 games, that's putting him around the 30 homer mark. A little bit above. But if then if he's healthy for that year, it means he's feeling good, and that means he's 45. That's why he's tough to predict. Because if he plays 150 games, that means he's probably healthy. And if Mike Trout is probably healthy... He's one of the top two, three still best players in the game. We, we forget this, about him. We called this guy bad last year by his standards, right? He was bad last year. Do you know what his OPS was? Easy number to pallet. Probably 900. 860. Yeah. 860 is bad? When did yeah. 860 become bad? That's great. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's Mike Trout. It's Trout. Um, I've got I no takeaways move. on the pitching front. Yeah. I have another takeaway on the hitting front from the Angels. How about Anthony Rendon's 1.4 F4, 80th percentile outcome? I mean, if have you seen all these quotes come out? You see what Pavel Bond said on Twitter? Yeah, we mentioned it quickly. Rendon was on a podcast, and, and he said if there's one thing he could change about Major League Baseball, it's that there should be fewer games. There are way too many games. And I love all the chirps like, hey, you don't play him anyways. <laughs> Who cares? I can't believe he came out and said that. Of, among all players, you're the guy. The guy who signed a seven-year, $245 million contract and keeps getting docked by everybody because you don't play, and you're the guy saying that there should be less games. Pavelbon came out and said on Twitter, this guy hates baseball. And I'm not really on the same page as Jonathan Pavelbon on most things. But I read that, and I was like, I get that. I mean, this you cannot be the guy to come out and say that. Rendon, like, even if you have to lie to people, are you seriously going to say that? I hate guys like that. How can you not love this game? How can you not? That irks me. That's my least favorite part. Like the guys who pretend to like not like baseball and they think it's funny. Fuck you. No, he might just, he might honestly not like baseball. He might be doing it for the check. Pisses me off because there's so many good players in the minor leagues going for chances who are obsessed with the game. Guess what? You're not going to get a shot because your fucking ass is just. Guess what? They've all gotten shots because he's not available. Yeah, it's true. They're sticking their shots. He's doing a good thing for minor leaguers. I didn't even think about it like yeah, that. They're all getting their shot because he's just not on the fucking field. That's true. The Angels are going through a third baseman every week. Right. I, there were, David McKinnon. They ran out. David, David yeah. Nathan McKinnon. No, Nathan is the hockey player. Nathan David is McKinnon. The player. Yeah, yeah. David is David is the one that kind of looked like a Walmart Thor that, that they yeah. ran out for 40 games. Andrew Velasquez, they ran out. Put Trey Cabbage over there at third. Okay. 
Fuck it. I think he's a left-handed defender. I'm not no, sure. I'm not sure. I, he's I know he's a lefty with his stick. Oh, man. All right. Oakland. A couple that jumped out to me. Brent Rooker at 27 homers after a 30 homer year. They don't think that's much of a fluke, which I find interesting. Me too. I thought that was interesting. Like I could see it. I looked more into the data and I was like, okay. I would I expect hot, fewer. But... Yeah, I would expect 20. But yeah. hey, all right. He just strikes out an ungodly amount. Yeah. Esteri Ruiz, they they expect him to get on base enough for 53 bags. He had 67 last year, so might be a fair assumption. But who's the top war getter? Geloff, man. Zach Geloff. Dude. I mean, people were up in arms about MLB's top 10 second baseman list not having Ozzy Albies and having Zach Geloff on in there instead. And I agree with that. It's stupid. Yeah, it's so stupid. Ozzy Albies, in my personal opinion, is top five, right? No doubt about it. Braves fans, my back on your side. <laughs> Ozzy Albies is that dude. But Geloff, in a very small sample, was legitimately one of the best best players in the American League if you just look at that sample alone. However, you cannot look at that sample alone, and that's what we have zips for. So they have him for a 3.3 F war, his 80th percentile outcome. He put up a 2.9 in 69 games last year. That makes sense to me. Like MLB went off their wagon. Sometimes I think legitimately they just put that out there for engagement. They embrace debate. Embrace debate. Like, yeah, we didn't have Ozzy Albies. We wanted you to comment more. Because it, it, they're asinine rankings. Like, they're rankings where I'm like, like, I don't even get mad they're so bad. Like, it's one thing. It's like, oh, you think Correa is four? I think he's eight. Let's debate, right? But it's the same kind of players that we know should be in the top ten. When you just have got like, Ozzy Albies is a 30-20 guy playing good defense. What are we talking about here? Geloff no, hasn't proved stop. anything. I like Geloff, right? No yeah. disrespect. I like Geloff. Stop. What does he earn? Get a cup of coffee. Last note on Oakland is Mason Miller, the closer at a 31% K rate, which is high and good. Mason Miller, the closer. Is that going to be a thing? Yeah. We talked about it a little bit earlier this offseason. They want to see if he can get through a full season because he really hasn't had the opportunity to show that he can get through a full season. So they're going to have him close games and then maybe transition him back to a starter. It might be doing the crochet thing. That's Yohan Duran in the bullpen. <laughs> it's that stuff. I mean, he doesn't have not? a splinker. The fastball is yeah. that level. The fastball in one inning spurts can probably sit 102. Easily. He's hitting 102 in five inning spurts. Sit 102. Yeah, true. It's more 99 to 102. No, no, no. Sit 101 to 102. Yeah, Top 103. I mean, he's just got some hammers, though, too. I mean, yeah, he, he in a closer role would be must-watch. Right. But him in a starter role is must-watch. I mean, there was a game, um, Mason Miller versus Bryce Miller, where they both went five scoreless. It was a ton of and fun. And I was like, both of these guys are going to win the Cy Young. <laughs> I don't like it. Was It was like a day game in August, but it was fastballs galore. Oh, yeah. None of the hitters in any lineup had a chance. No, it was great. It was flick the glove. Both of them just go for a while. Go. Seattle, couple takeaways. Offensively, J-Rod. 32 that's, homers, that's 34 bags, a 5.1 war. He's the guy, man. I yeah, saw tough. the rumblings. They they can't have him as the MLB The Show cover athlete because he was on Tap Sports Baseball last year, and you need to wait three years before you're on another game. 
So J Rod can't be on this year or next year. That's stupid. He's the easiest cover athlete we've like ever had. Literally. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on was his 20th percentile outcome. Three. 3.2 F4. <laughs> it's like, ha, like that's so good. That seems disrespectful. 20th percentile outcome is like a four win season for J Rod. Right? I mean, 5.4 as a rookie in 2022, 5.9 last year. He ain't dropping two wins. I don't care what happens to him. Might be playing one leg. Might have a peg leg. Like in Pirates of the Caribbean. He ain't putting up a 3.2 F4. Unless something horrific happens. Unless it's a games played thing. But they're projecting out over, you know, 100 and whatever games. If he's just on the field and sucking, he's just accumulating more. He's too good at everything. I thought the 20th percentile was even low for him. What do you thought? What are your thoughts? So I, I can't find war splits. I could probably do it in terms of a date range, but first half WRC plus for Julio Rodriguez was only 103. Second half yes. was 156. We saw, I think, the 20th percentile of Julio Rodriguez pre-All-Star break. It took a two-week push to get him into the All-Star game. He was not an All-Star two weeks before the actual game. I know, but like that ain't happening for a full year. Exactly. My other thing is, if that's the 20th percentile, we're talking about a guy that we're trying to shove into the All-Star game. Like, hey, you know what? He's on. He's fringy. He's probably a snub, understandably so. We're talking about the 20th percentile being a fringe All-Star. Yeah. And a fringe All-Star is a four-win player. Like, 20th percentile outcome stinks. And he, relatively speaking, stunk in the first half before that two-week stretch. He will probably be my MVP pick in 2024. He's yeah. just different. Yeah, I'm probably going to go get off, but I understand. Yeah, no, I get that. Jonathan Classe projected 38 bags if he does play. That's pretty interesting. That. Uh, Jonathan Classe, top, probably top 10 prospect in the Mariners system. They had a really good draft. Colt Emerson is probably ahead of him. Ty Pete might be ahead of him. It's probably Classe ahead of him. Classe was a fiend on the base paths in the minor leagues. He played in the Futures game. He doesn't have a spot this year on this team, but hypothetically, if he were to play the entire year, he probably swipes 40 backs. He's got game-changing speed. Question is, can he be ready for big league pitching in 2024? Answer is, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like if you intentionally walked him 40 times, he's going to be on base. But like, can he get on base enough to steal 40 bags? Yeah, the Billy Hamilton conversation. Can he get on base enough to be valuable? Because yeah. if Billy got on base at a 350 clip, he was an $100 million player at some point. Problem is he wasn't getting on base like that. Um, One more takeaway on Seattle's front. They love their pitching staff. Love them. And Luis Castillo is a bona fide ace in Zip's eyes. Yeah, he is certainly knocking on the door. He's a projected three two seven ERA in about one hundred and eighty innings. Castillo three two seven, Kirby three four eight, Gilbert three five zero, Bryce Miller three eight eight, Brian Wu four one one. I'm surprised they have that big of a difference between Wu and Miller. I'd put them very close together. Very close. I'd put them both, both right around four. They both have similar issues with lefties, and that's why we see them both in the offseason developing these pitches to get out lefties. Fastball reliance. Yeah. If they have four starting pitchers under four and a fifth 
in the very low fours, how how can you not flirt with the idea of them winning the American League West? That's exactly what we did last year, and look what happened. <laughs> we saw it. I know, but they did it. But we didn't even know who Miller and Wu were at the beginning of the year. We knew who Bryce Miller was. We were talking about how they had all these great pitching prospects that were going to come up. We didn't know exactly who they were. We were like, was it Emerson Hancock? But the idea of that they had reinforcements on the way was a big selling point to the Mariners, was that if any of these guys go down, they can pull up guys, which they did. The problem is, guys like Ty France, when you see his Zips projection, like still can't hit. Even though I know he's been at driveline, he's grinding, and I still believe in him. But it's like, if only J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez are hitting for you in the lineup, you start to not know how to score runs. And that's and it's, again, the same thing I'm worried about with the Mariners. They lost a lot of two-to-one games last year. Like, pitching is only so good, you have to hit. And, like, this team, until proven otherwise, right? No A. Eugenio Suarez anymore. No Teoscar Hernandez. It's not like they have a lot of reinforcements there offensively. So it's like, yeah, the pitching is great. But like what? Let's say Bryce Miller goes six innings, two runs. The, the Mariners might not score. That's my issue with them this year. And it's something I didn't account for enough last year, and I'm seeing the same problem surface again. One more team, the Texas Rangers. My only takeaway here has to do with Wyatt Langford. My only takeaway, too, and Evan Carter. So you know how I wanted to unload on Junior Caminero to win the uh, – Rookie of the year. Yeah. White Langford and Evan Carter are in the competition. Yes, they know. are. Like and they're I probably gonna take out. they're probably gonna take votes away from each other. I know. They're all so good. Wyatt Langford. I said it coming out of the draft. Langford, little squiggly, Cruz. This guy is gonna hit and he's gonna hit. And it's just if you're a Rangers fan, I'm trying to get in the mode of one. We just won the World Series, and we saw Evan Carter hitting third. And I'm looking at a Zips projection of a rookie coming up who's even better than Evan Carter. Yeah. Like, if I have a Rangers fan, I'm so giddy. Like, I'm just giggling all the time. Lankford's projections, 24 homers, 98 driven in. This is if he plays a full season. 24 homers, 98 RBIs, a two and a half win player with a 122 OPS plus 18 stolen bases to boot. That's totally I attainable. I love how sometimes on this podcast we look at each other, we're just like, like oh shit. That's totally attainable. So if you're listening on audio and you're not listening on YouTube, that's what we're doing. We're just gritting and looking at each other when you hear that pause, but the YouTube people can see it. Might be kind of real. I mean, who's your rookie of the year pick right now? What are you feeling? Langford. Me too. If he gets like, enough run, Carter I think he could will. win it. Yes, yeah, so could Caminero. <laughs> so could Caminero. I, I think Langford. There's so much protection in that lineup. And there's wow. a chance he's... Where's Langford going to hit sixth? He might hit third. Yeah, shit. I, we, we watched Robbie Grossman hit third. Just unbelievable. I mean, imagine like, I mean, they could go Simeon. How about how about you got Adolis in right, Carter in center, Langford in left. Say goodnight. And then you got Seeger and Simeon up the middle with Josh Young, who we aren't even talking about, who's also a truck. Nathaniel Lowe, Jonah Heim. It's a perfect uh, offense. I mean, it's, it doesn't really get much better. 
Or you I got mean, Carter, what, Carter and left, Leote in center, and, and Langford is the DH, sure. Sure. Why not? Jeez, they're good. Oh, they're, they're really good. good again. They're damn good. They need some pitching, though. Losing Monty sucks. They need gaining, pitching. Gaining Mally's solid. Have they lost Monty yet? I don't no, think they've lost Monty. They have not lost Monty yet. They're not going to get Mally this year. Till the break. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's true. They are getting Mally, who I do like. They're going to be really good again. Chet, really good. Ever watch out. Windows open. That's what I got for you, man. That's what I got for you, too. Yeah, I just wanted to mention Evan Carter, 3.8, 80th percentile outcome. Langford, 4.3. Yeah. Like, more upside than him. Carter's got a higher floor, though, probably. I mean, Langford is... Like, the... the wouldn't you say that the Texas Rangers have a gunner, Henderson, in White Langford? In that way, I know he's a shortstop corner outfielder, not the same, but like, yeah, they do that type of guy. I know what you're saying. Like, hey, you know, top five prospect overall in baseball, one or two, probably. Langford is consensus top five coming into the year, I think. If they have him outside the top five based on what he did in pro ball last year on the heels of his college season, that outlet, I, I think, is smoking something. But I, I do see what you're saying where it is immediate plug and play. I think Langford's impact is actually closer to Carroll than it is to Gunner because Gunner had that slow start. Carroll, it was plug and play. You know you're getting a, a really good player right away with the chance to be a great player. And Same I think position. that's what Langford is. Like Langford played center at center. Thinking about yeah, center field. It's Florida. And he can make um, the and he can jump to a corner. He could jump to a corner too. He's got he's got a ton of speed and just so much pop in the back. Yeah. He is going to be. I can't wait. Good episode. One more note before we say adios. I know that the Hall of Fame announcement is coming, or it came last night, coming on Tuesday evening. We're recording before the Hall of Fame announcement. We'll hit on those new Hall of Famers on the Friday show. Yes, sir. And that's that's the episode of the Just Baseball Show here, folks. Really appreciate everybody listening again. We will see you on Friday. Go get yourself some Just Baseball merch. You can find it in the episode description. For all those watching on YouTube, hit that big red subscribe button. Come on. It's free. And comment more things that you want to hear from the show. We read all the comments. We really, really appreciate everybody leaving them. And if you're listening on audio, greatly appreciate you leaving a five-star review, whether that be on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods. That's Jack. I'm Peter. Again, we'll be back on Friday. And with that... 